Well, good evening. Uh, I'm going to have you guys open to the passage. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 4 tonight. It seemed only fitting with Braden preaching on 1 Corinthians earlier this week that I would bookend what he did. So he'll do the front of 1 Corinthians, I'll do the back, and you know, go figure, 1 Corinthians seems to go with 2 Corinthians, so hopefully it'll tie in all right with pastor's stuff too when he comes back. Um, our main focus will be verses 1 and 2, but all four are necessary for understanding. So if you don't mind to stand to honor the Word of God, we're going to read it, and it says this. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand by which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. It says, For I delivered unto you the first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for those that are here tonight. Thank you for your word I pray, Lord, that it would go out with power, that uh, you would empower your word far beyond what I can do to it. Let everybody leave here knowing they met with you, not that they heard from me. Pray, God, that we would all leave a little different than when we came in, whether someone gets saved, someone makes a decision to get more serious in their life, or someone maybe rededicates. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray we'd leave a little bit different. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, whenever I read this passage, it always reminds me of a story of an African chieftain. This was a large and a very powerful man, and he lived in a tumultuous time. He lived in a time when the other tribes were not necessarily doing as well as his tribe was, and The reason for that is he kept his tribe to two very specific rules. One, there would be no stealing. There are severe punishments for stealing. And the second is to honor your mother and father. And these were the two rules that kept his tribe going and going well. The price was steep. It was 10 lashes. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody. I know other than maybe on a TV show that's been whipped. Uh, If you've ever seen The Passion of Christ, you know they would give 40 lashes. Um, But ten lashes is not a light thing. And so to be stealing was a big deal. Unfortunately, after a few days, they found that someone was taking something that was not theirs. They didn't know who it was yet, but things were just coming up missing. And so the chieftain asked the people, he said, hey, put, put the word out, figure out what's going on, find the person, and they'll be brought to justice. This was a man who had justice. He was a fair ruler. And after a few more days, they found the culprit. It was his mother. So he pushed the punishment off to the next day, and the people all night had to wonder, will he choose justice or mercy? The next morning, his mom comes up, and she's led to a post where her hands are fastened, They tear the back of her shirt, and the guy goes back to take the whip, 
And right before he goes, the man stops him. Looks like mercy's going to win. But instead of letting nothing happen, he comes around, and he takes his own shirt off, and he wraps his arms around her. And then he says, commence. Instead of nothing happening, his mercy and justice both played a role together. He took the lashes in her place. You see, this is a beautiful story that really shows pictures of the truths of the gospel. Now, you may say, what is the gospel? I think the majority of you would say, we know what the gospel is. But that doesn't mean everyone does. I've worked in children's church for five and a half years, and what I found is when I use a word all the time, it doesn't necessarily mean people understand it. Sometimes when I would say the word gospel, I'd say, okay, what is the gospel? And they'd be like, the Bible. No. Um, What is the gospel? Believe, repent, and call. No. What is it? Well, it's not any of those things. It's not a mental assent. It's not agreeing with the facts. It's not an emotional decision that has no life change. But this is what the gospel is. The gospel, according to the apostle here, is the message of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, being buried and rising again the third day, just like the scripture said he would. That is the message of the gospel. Now, there's a lot more to this than we think about. We may just say, okay, yeah, that's the gospel. But in order for Jesus to be the one who is coming, he had to be the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be God in flesh. The Messiah was going to be absolutely perfect. He was going to be sinless. He could never do anything that had blot or blemish upon him or on his character of of sin. And so he lived a perfect life. He was, it says buried, but he's put in a tomb with a rock rolled in front of it. And then three days later, he's finally raised again. That is the gospel. Gospel just means good news. Now, if you just heard that, you'd be like, why in the world is that good news? A guy died, and then he was raised again. Well, it's good news because he paid the way for your salvation and mine when we could not pay it. It's good news because there is no way to the Father except through him. That's why it's the gospel, the good news. See, our sin had separated us from God. It was destroying our very lives and condemning us eternally. But Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He accomplished all the necessary work for us to be saved. I don't know if anyone needs to hear this, but you don't need to add anything to what Christ did to be saved. You don't have to be so good. You don't have to do these other things to add to the work of Christ. It was sufficient to save you. So now to be saved then, we must believe in Jesus, turn from our sin and call upon him as Lord and Savior. And you know what? The fact that the gospel is true is a way better story, a way better thing to know than the one you heard at the beginning. Yeah, a man took lashes for his mother, but Jesus took lashes for you. And it wasn't just to spare you of a few moments of discomfort or even just a physical death. 
but eternal separation from God. You know, sadly, many people today are sick and tired of hearing about the gospel. That's ultimately what made me want to write on this. They've become dull of hearing it. Yes, I go to church, you preach the gospel. We come back the next week, you preach the gospel. Okay, can we move on? No. The reason being is there may be some people today who are not saved. They don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They've not accepted the gospel. The reason being is there may be people here who happen to be Christians. I hope at least one. (laughs) And you also need the gospel. And there are those who think they're saved, but need to check their lives according to that gospel, because they're really not. Here's what I want you to come away with today. This is the main idea. If you want to write it down, you can. It says, the gospel is applicable to all people at all times. The gospel is applicable to all people at all times. And the title of the message is, The Gospel Then, Now, So the first thing we're going to look at is receiving the gospel. This starts in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you're following along, here you go. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Notice how the passage begins. Moreover, who? Brethren. Now, Corinth is a highly Gentile city. He's not talking to them as brethren because they're all Jews. He's talking to them as brethren because he's saying, my people in the church, my people who have the same spiritual father, my people who are in Christ, my brethren. He said, you have received the gospel, my brethren. Now, some may say, well, then he's preaching to the choir, You guys ever heard that phrase? You know, I heard somebody once say, choirs need to be preached to. There's heathens in the pews. (laughs) I mean, everybody in here has heard of somebody who's got up on Sunday, did things, they maybe sang, or they, you know, did something to proclaim the name of the Lord in some way, shape, or form, and then somebody saw them the very next day acting like a fool. And sometimes that's been us. And so we all need preach to. Now the church at Corinth, which definitely needed preach to, I don't know if you've read Corinthians very much, but they were a mess. The church at Corinth was beginning to lose track of the basic understanding of the resurrection. There was people who came in Uh, maybe they had just said that they didn't believe in a physical resurrection at all. Uh, MacArthur believes that they weren't discounting Christ's resurrection, but just their personal ones. They believe Jesus really resurrected, but not that they would. They would get a spiritual resurrection instead. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so Paul here is going to use the very gospel that he preached to them originally to correct them. 
the same gospel that they received. Now, the people had definitely heard the gospel before. Remember, uh, just this Sunday, Paul preached Christ. Some of you know it. It's crucified. Paul preached Christ crucified. That's his message. If he's going somewhere, hey, Christ was crucified. You can be saved. The way is here. And so that's what he said the first time he came. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Christ and him crucified. Now that doesn't mean he never said anything else or never noted any other issues. If you've ever been through the book of Corinthians, you know there are quite a lot in here. I mean, when you've got to talk to a guy about taking his dad's wife, I mean, there's some problems somewhere in this church. But the point is, is until someone's soul is secured, all other issues are secondary. I could correct everything about my life, but if I didn't have my soul saved, it's not going to help me in the end. And if you're coming here hoping that you can correct everything about your life and never give yourself to Jesus, it's not going to help you either. understand that these people had heard the gospel declared to them. And not only that, but they had received it. This means they seemingly responded appropriately. They would have believed the message. A lot of people know this verse, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 13, 3, they would have repented of sin. It says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And they would have called upon Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So these people had that testimony. Their testimony was that they'd believed the gospel. They'd turned from sin. They've called on Christ as Lord and Savior. But you know, I want to tell you something. Hearing truths like this don't really help us if we don't do anything with them. I could have Michael Jordan tell me how to play basketball. And if I don't follow his advice, I'm, I'm definitely not getting any better. It's just not happening. The Bible says that, James 1.22, it says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It says, if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man who's beholding his natural face in a mirror, or in a glass, it says. For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway he forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Understand that some of us look in the mirror real quick in the morning, and then go out the door. And in my case, it generally shows. I've normally got a piece of hair sticking up right there that I never dealt with. But the Bible talks about that as someone who just takes a quick look at their life and then never actually does anything about it. You realize you're not right, but you don't make the change. You don't say, you know what, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. You don't turn to Christ. See, but there was another group that responded differently. 
Acts 17, 11, and 12, it said, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Therefore, many believed. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. You see, a lot of us here today are believers, but everyone here who is a believer has received the gospel. But there may be some here who have not. And my question to you, and I don't know who you are, because there's lots of people I don't know here, but what is holding you back? What is stopping you from coming to know Christ as Savior? Is it money? You know, the Bible says you can't serve God and money. It can, can either be the almighty God or the almighty dollar. can't be both. But the question that was raised by Jesus is, is it worth it to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What are you giving up for the pursuit of money? Eternal life, eternal riches in heaven, because you can't be bothered to follow Christ, to know him. Maybe it's the opinions of others. You know, Jesus was called a whole lot of names. Matthew 10, 24 through 28, he says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It says, It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and that the servant as his Lord, if they have called the master of this house Beelzebub, that's the prince of the demons, by the way, how much more shall they call them of his household? Man, they called Jesus the prince of the demons. What do you think they're going to call us if we say we follow Jesus? No, I've been called a couple things. Especially if I'm knocking at somebody's door. They don't, they don't like me a whole lot then. I don't blame them for that. But he says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye on the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Sometimes we get too focused on people who may not like us because of Jesus. You're worried about the wrong person. Lastly, it may be a specific sin. When I was in high school, we called these pet sins. Um, it, we called them that because it's something that you kind of cater to. It's something that you take care of and you do on your own. That you know, Maybe it's in your own household or in, in somewhere where you can do it. But it's something that you specifically struggle with. And I don't know if people have articulated this very well all the time. We all have one, and it may not all look the same. That's why the idea of I was born this way and things like that don't work well, because the Bible says we got to be born again. We all have a tendency towards something that's evil. Understand that sin may be fun for a season, but it leads to unimaginable pain. Ask anyone who tried a drug thinking it would be fun and ended up getting hooked. I've known a lot of addicts in my life. And if that was you, I'm not, I'm not putting this towards you. I'm just, think about how much devastation 
has been caused in your own life or in the life of someone you loved. When I was, you know, three, four years old, I watched an addict beat my mom half to death. You can do awful things for a little bit of sin. And a lot of times it gets way farther than you ever meant for it to go. James 1:14 and 15 says, "But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death." I always loved it in Proverbs when it talks about the strange woman because it always talks about her stairs leading to death. They don't realize the dead are in there with her. There are things that will destroy your life, and your soul. Romans 6.23 says it so simply. It says, for the wages of sin is death. What you earn by sinning is death. It's separation. And in that scenario, it's actually talking about eternal death, eternal separation. Listen, if you're an unbeliever here tonight, please don't leave that way. Please come to know Christ, trust in him, believe in him in an obeying way. If you're a believer in him, are you dull to the gospel? Are you dull to the gospel? Number two, we're going to look at standing in the gospel. Standing in the gospel. This is still 1 Corinthians 15.1. We're moving slow, I'm sorry. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein ye stand. That's the part you want to focus in on, wherein ye stand. See, the gospel isn't just some door you walk through to become a Christian, and then you never really think about it again. I've seen people reference the gospel as like a bridge from you to God, and as nice as the picture is, The problem is, is people don't realize the gospel, if you're a Christian, will take part in every facet of your life. This phrase leans on the fact that we are saved and we are being saved. This is the point where we have been justified. That means God declared we are righteous with him. He's made us positionally correct, but we still need to be sanctified. We still need to be practically made right. We are set apart for a purpose and a use, and we have to get to the point where we can actually be that. But you see, part of the reason people get so sick of the gospel is they don't see that its application is to every single aspect of our lives. For the Christian, the gospel is the key to many things. First being, understanding the scriptures. Have you ever read the Bible, and been like, what in the world is going on? Me too. Look at what the Bible says, Luke 24, 25 through 27. It says, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. Think about that. Moses, what books did he write? Verse 5. Oh, the Pentateuch, you call it the Torah, I don't really care. Verse 5 books. 
prophets. Well, if you've got the prophets, I know that Psalms talks about it. I know that all the different prophets, you could go through and label all the places that Jesus is referenced. But the idea is the whole Old Testament is pointing in one direction. The Savior is coming. This may be done through overtly stated prophecy, Micah 5.2, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come him that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Tell me the prophet understood what he just said. He knew the place. There's going to be a, somebody who comes. How in the world can the person who's coming be from everlasting? They didn't understand the hypostatic union. They didn't understand all these things. Half the time, we don't understand some of these things. But it was true. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is the suffering servant. This is in reference to Jesus. It says, He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and his pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge and shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. These were all prophesied about Jesus hundreds of years before him. Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad, and the glory rejoiceth. My soul shall also rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. God, you won't leave me in, in death. And as much as the psalmist knew that applied to him, it applied so much more to Jesus Christ. Now, though they were many overt ways, there are many scriptures that reference the coming Savior, the gospel, what would, be, what would befall him. It was also done typologically in picturesque ways. Think about in the very beginning, first two people, they were Adam and Eve. All right, great. Adam and Eve, they were told, don't eat of this tree. What'd they do? Come on, guys. What is going on? They ate of the tree. Now, instead of God slaying them right then, because he told them the punishment for doing this would be death. Instead of him slaying him right then, what you notice is God kills an animal and puts skins on them. You have your very first picture of substitutionary atonement only a few chapters into the Bible. Death comes for sin. You look at Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is there. You've got God who's displeased with the world because they've lived in an awful, in a sinful way, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so while he was building the ark, he was telling people, but nobody listened. It was him and his wife and his sons and their wives, and eight people made it onto the ark. And there was only one door on the way in. There's one door to heaven. Jesus said, I am the door. Understand that there's so much more. Moses going into Egypt and 
bringing back an enslaved people out, going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, and him getting these people out of Egypt, removing them from their bondage, from their chains. Man, that sounds a whole lot like what Jesus did for us when he saved us. Man, he went into us who were slaves of sin and said, here, you don't have to be that anymore. You can now be a slave, a servant to righteousness. Look at Joshua leading the people into the promised land. It was a figure of one greater, whose name also, by the way, translates to Joshua, Jesus. It's the same word. But look at the promised land he brings us into. You see all these types, these pictures, these thoughts moving forward from the Old Testament, showing what Jesus was going to do, this Savior, this person, God in flesh. It was also inherently in the laws. Think about the animal sacrifices. What were you seeing every time an animal was sacrificed? God is just. There is a payment for sin. And you also see God giving mercy to these people by not taking their own lives for it. He said, you've committed the trespass. We'll let an animal die in your place. The problem is animals weren't enough. You needed an ultimate sacrifice. One of my favorite ones is about the death of the high priest. There is a very small blurb in the Bible that talks about the death of the high priest. And if you don't know what this is, I hope this excites you, because this is one of the coolest things for me. The death of the high priest. Okay? There was something called sanctuary cities in the Bible. How many of you guys have seen Hunchback of Notre Dame? Cool. So what do they do? They go into the church and they yell sanctuary. And the idea is you can't go in and get them. It's a sacred area. You don't have the right. In the Bible, if you committed manslaughter, you accidentally killed someone. Instead of you being able to be killed by the family, instead of you going to any kind of prison, they had sanctuary cities. And if you could prove that it wasn't on purpose, that you didn't murder that person, you could stay in the sanctuary city and you'd be allowed to live there the rest of your life. But there's one caveat. If the high priest dies, you're allowed to go free. And it's kind of a weird statement. You're like, what in the world? Why does that matter? Well, some of the Jews came to understand this as something called the death of the high priest atones. Friends, we have a great high priest. And when he died for us, our blood guiltiness for our sin is washed away. Not only the gospel, not only is it the key to God's word, it's the key to how we interact with other people. How do we interact with our enemies? Matthew 5.44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Man, that's easy, isn't it? No. It's one of those things where you really wish Jesus didn't say that, but he did, and now you're stuck with it because, you know, he's God and he's right and I'm not. So, okay, Jesus, let's see you do it. Great. Romans 5, 8 through 10. 
But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you're like, well, that didn't say we were his enemies. Well, keep going. Much more than being justified, that's made righteous, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were the enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled, brought back to God, by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you know Jesus Christ died for you when you were his enemy? Not while you were his friend. I had a person that I knew in high school, and they drove me absolutely insane. I'm sure everyone has that person. Now, if you work here and you have that person, just don't tell me if it's me. (laughs) Um, We had a class together in 10th grade. It was English. I hate English, by the way. We're in class, and we are put in groups. Everybody loves group projects, right? Cool. Everything is going swell until we get to one question about whether or not it's truly possible to forgive other people. I say yes. He says no. And everything breaks loose. What I came to realize in that moment is he was not going to listen to anything that I had to say. He was stubborn, and he thought he knew it all. And I could say that because I was stubborn, and I thought I knew it all. But that guy drove me absolutely crazy. And so I was super excited when he transferred out of my class the next week. Glad I didn't have to see him anymore. But you know what ended up happening is he transferred into a different one of my classes and sat right next to me. And after long enough of dealing with this, I finally uh, came to him and I said, okay, my church's having a pizza party. (laughs) You can come if you want. And he's like, cool, I like pizza. I couldn't stand that guy. And of course, I'm the only person he knows here, so guess who he wants to hang out with? That'd be me. Now, I, I do want to say, I think this is the same night, we did win a shopping cart race. So, yes. Um, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Because of that, he started coming to church. He got saved. And you know, 13, 14 years later, I don't have a closer friend in the world. Besides Jesus and my wife, but, you know, Whatever as male friends who aren't supernatural or whatever. I don't have a closer friend in the world. How do we treat our enemies? They probably also need the gospel. How do you interact with your neighbor? (coughs) Well, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not sure who's your neighbor, there is a great parable just for you. I'll let you look that up on your own time. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think Jesus did that perfectly throughout the gospel. The gospel is also the key to a godly marriage. How do you interact with other people? Enemies, neighbors, spouse? Ephesians 5, 21 through 25. Here it is. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another 
in the fear of God. So husbands, wives, submit yourselves to one another. Okay, next verse. Wives, submit your... Oh, sorry, there you go. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, women, I know that sounds awful, but after we get done with this text, I'm going to show you why guys have the harder task. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Keep going. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Understand, wives are supposed to honor and reverence their husband. They're supposed to uh, submit to his leadership in some ways. The same way the church submits to God. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, which this isn't, that wasn't written to the Corinthians, but they didn't always do that perfectly. And I don't think the Ephesians always did either. But see, the husband, the husband is supposed to love you the way that Christ loved the church. How did he do that? Perfectly. He died for the church. He gave up everything. It was self-sacrificial love. So, if you ever don't like it, husbands have the harder job, just so you know. I have to act like Jesus, you just have to act like a church. (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. All right. The gospel is the key to living a life of character. How about humility in the Christian life? Philippians 2, 5 through 11, very famous passage. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus does, that's what it's saying. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That means he had the same nature as God. He could have taken the same status, he could have kept himself in all the glamour and pomp of heaven. That's what's going on there. But he's saying he didn't count it as something to be held on to. It said, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every Oh, in heaven and in earth and all things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Understand, the person who created the world came down to live in it and was crucified. And he knew it was going to happen before he did it, but he humbled himself anyway. Can't we humble ourselves for... This one other person who isn't trying to nail us to a tree? Now, salvation in general, think about it. According to the gospel, we're not good enough. It leaves no room for boasting. There's no way that you can be proud (laughs) about who you were because you weren't good enough. I am not good enough. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know we would. I was good enough to get to heaven on my own. You needed Jesus. Oh no. 
I need Jesus. And no one's good enough to get to heaven on their own. Romans 4, 2, it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he'd have whereof to glory, but not before God. You continue their line of thinking down there, which you don't need to pull up. He says that Abraham was justified by faith. God justifies the ungodly by faith. Let's keep going in character, though. How about forgiveness? How does the gospel deal with forgiveness? I want to tell you, you're never more like Jesus Christ than when you learn to forgive people. People that don't deserve it. They wronged you. And regardless of what they did, I want to tell you, you did more to Jesus than we did to him, or they did to you. Ephesians 4.32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Well, I guess we have to learn how to forgive other people because God forgave us for Christ's sake. Hey, that's the gospel. Again, even the fruit of the Spirit. All right, now, I'm going to be transparent. You can make fun of me at this if you want. I spent five and a half years leading kids' church. And what that means is I have lots of kids' songs that will forever be in my brain. (laughs) And one of the kids' songs I learned and that has forever stuck with me is called the Free the Spirit song. Now, that sounds fine until I try to memorize the fruits of the Spirit in our Bible because it's not written in the song in the King James. And so when I try to memorize it, I can't do it because I keep remembering the song. So I'm going to tell you the song. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think everybody's heard of those before at some point. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. But who knows what the two verses are after the fruits of the Spirit? Anybody? I didn't. Here you go. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, it says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Hmm, the gospel again. So it seems like the gospel is the key to the Bible, our relationships, our character. Might have something to do with our life now. The gospel is how we know God will keep his promises. All the way in the beginning, Genesis 3.15, God makes the first promise of a Savior. And what you must realize is there is nothing more that God could have given you than the Son, Jesus Christ. And if he would give you his own Son, what will he not give you? Romans 8.32, here it is. God says it way better than I do. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? I know God's going to keep his word because he already kept the hardest one. The gospel is what we hope. It's what our hope stands in. F.B. Meyer says, if 1 Corinthians 13 is a psalm of love, then this chapter is a psalm of hope, a hope that cannot be ashamed It is the most memorable argument in existence for the resurrection of the body. It's a hope that we have knowing that Christ raised his own body and so he can raise ours. Christian, 
What area in your life are you not applying the gospel? Do your interactions with others scream out the good news? How about your enemies? Your neighbors? Your spouse? Don't lie on that one, I'll ask. Does your character reflect that you've been crucified with Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, to walk in this newness of life? There was somebody who made a quote about the burial, which I've never heard before, and I thought it was really interesting. (laughs) There's a man named Prang Hyde from India, and he had a note. He said, it is not enough to have the self-life crucified, because we always hear about that. Crucified, risen, crucified, risen. We always kind of skip the the burial part. He said, it's not enough to have the self-life crucified. It must be buried, for the stench of it will drive souls away from Christ. If we're just dragging our old sinful life along with us, who wants to be around that guy? There's nothing different than you than the rest of the world. We need to get that far away from us. Do you recognize that God is trustworthy because of his gospel? Do you recognize that it is the very essence of our hope for the future? It's how we know that he's going to do what we need. Last one, and this is the shortest one, I promise. Remembering the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless you've believed in vain. Keep in memory is not necessarily my favorite way this is translated. It's translated other ways. Um, The Greek word is kateko, and it literally means to hold fast, to keep something. Or you could say to keep it in mind, which is what they used here. So Paul is saying, (coughs) if you're saved, or you are saved, if you hold fast your profession of the gospel that you trusted in all the way to the end, all the way to the end. This is a very common phraseology in the Bible. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You see, the idea is those who persevere to the end are the only ones with real saving faith. If you've left the faith at any point, that wasn't true saving faith. Note the verses that say, unless you believed in vain. That means the whole time the belief was in vain, not that it became vain later. Sometimes we think we're saved. That's not uncommon. There's going to be a lot of people who think they're saved. I want to end with this thought. I say that loosely. I've got about a page. There are three kinds of false professors. Three kinds of false professors. There are those who make a profession and then leave the faith. There are those who exist as nominal Christians. They stay in or around the church. There are those who are outright deceivers. Those are your options. If you're not a real Christian, you're one of those three things. 
Or you, you just know you don't believe and you don't act like you do. The parable of the soils gives the clearest understanding of those who profess and then leave the faith. In the parable, there are four soils. We're going to pull up Matthew 13 for you guys so you can watch this along with us. Matthew 13, verse 4, it says, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And it says, When the sun was come up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. And finally, it says, and some fell upon thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Last one says, but others fell onto good ground, and they brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And you read that, and you're like, great, plant analogy. So what? What in the world is that trying to say to me? Well, there's more verses. Hop to verse 18. Matthew 13, 18. Okay? Here is what it says. Matthew 13, 18. It says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is the seed received by the wayside. That hard ground, the wayside, you heard the message, it bounced off because you weren't ready to receive it at all. Satan's going to steal that away because he doesn't want it hanging around. Then you've got number two, verse 19, 20. But he that received the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and with the non, joy, receiveth it. Woo! Sure, I'll take a get out of jail free card. Yet he hath no root in himself, but endureth for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by, he's offended. I didn't know this Jesus thing was going to cost me something. You mean I actually have to die to myself? You mean people don't like me because I'm a Christian? Why would I want to do that? He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Think about that. He hears the word, seems to make a good profession. He's, he seems to get up and, and be okay, but he gets caught up in life. Money. Like I told you earlier, you can either have the almighty God or the almighty dollar. And a lot of people pick the latter. Understand there's only one good ground. Technically, there are three bad grounds and three good grounds. The three good grounds are the 30, 60, and 100-fold. Some are slightly better than others. They're more ready to receive. But you know, all three of those first three are going to leave the church. Somebody's going to wonder where you went. And the honest answer is you never really got saved. You never truly had a relationship with Jesus. And you left because you didn't truly know him. Which is awful. We don't want that for you. 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. 
But they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The next group are the nominal Christians. This is, in my opinion, the most dangerous. They think they're saved. They know Jesus is Lord. They have a mental assent to the truth. They know all the facts. They may even be in church. Probably are. But see, they have no real fruit in their lives, no changed life, no life for Jesus. They talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It says, Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? I want you to note this when you read this. It didn't say they did these things. It said they said they did them. Didn't we prophesy in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name do many wonderful works. And Jesus says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you and I lost you. You were never there. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's one more group, and these are the false prophets. These are the ones out to deceive other people. Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets, which come with you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. See, these people have fruit in their lives. It's just rotten. That's why in the section directly surrounding them, it says you will know them by their fruit. A lot of people don't like when people name drop pastors. Look, if they're doing rotten fruit things, people ought to know that. Some people try to staple fruit, take something from a living tree, see if you can attach it. Doesn't doesn't work. I tried to garden this year with my wife. Apparently, I don't know how to make, we don't know how to do anything but like uh, cucumbers <laughs> and marigolds. Our marigolds are looking great. Not a whole lot else. Friends, in the terms of the apostle, brethren, sisters. I don't mean this in a disrespectful manner. Do you know that you're saved? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, are you sure? Do you know you're saved? If so, don't leave your first love. Continue it, stick it out, make it to the end. Is there fruit in your life? If not, it might be worth making sure Jesus is actually your Lord and not that you just said he was. Or are you looking for ways to exploit the church? Now, I don't think anyone would openly admit to that one. But inwardly, if that's you, there's still time to repent. God takes rotten people all the time. I'm one of them. In conclusion as the musicians come up tonight, I want to leave you once again with the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God in flesh, <coughs> he came down to the earth he created. He lived a perfect life that none of us could. He died to pay for the sins that we had and not him. He was buried and he rose again the third day. 
tonight, if you need to be saved, when the musicians play, when, when you're ready, come. Whether you thought you've made professions before or you know you haven't, you know you need to be saved, come. Christian, if you've taken the gospel for granted, if you haven't been applying it to your life, there are a myriad of ways we didn't even talk about. I didn't want to keep you here all night. Get it right with the Lord. Honestly, the worst thing in the world is if we all leave here and nobody's any different. Mm-hmm.